and welcome to the 15th episode of Baseball Barbecue. I am Jake Mintz. That is Jordan Schusterman. We are the Cespedes Family Barbecue, and we are the only podcast in the world inspired by a player who opted out of the season, didn't tell anybody, and then his team smeared him on the way out. But we'll get to that later. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing uh, quite fine. Uh, our last episode last Thursday feels like a lifetime ago, as anything in 2020. Um, a lot can change very quickly, as it has for the Mets, as it has for some other teams. We have a lot to talk about in this episode. We have two very special guests. We're going to talk to Disha Thosar, the Mets beat reporter for the New York Daily News, about a gentleman named Yoannis Cespedes, who Heard did not him. show up to work. It's a little bit more complicated than that. We're obviously I would say talk. it's a lot a bit more complicated than that. We are going to talk to Nate Pearson of the Toronto Blue Jays, one of the best pitching prospects in all of the land, about his uh, major league debut against Max Scherzer, about playing for the Toronto Blue Jays in 2020. I have and to about, say, you're, uh, yeah. you're saying all of that stuff about Nate Pearson very nonchalantly, but I want to just hammer home that it's super fucking cool that we talked to like the best pitching prospect in the world about facing Max Scherzer. I just don't want you, Jordan Schusterman, to lose sight of that sentence. You're 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 right. You're right. I just want to make it clear that like yeah, we're all we're we're here. We're hanging out and we're we're having another episode of baseball barbecue. And That's Nate cool. But it. like, but don't pretend we're we're not geeked. All right. <laughs> very true. Very true. All right. But before uh, we get to our uh, guests a little bit later, um, and we have some some more fun segments lined up, we do have to as with any podcast episode uh, about baseball during a pandemic, we got to update you on the bad stuff. Right. This is like, you know, like you're watching like CNN and it's like, you know, the top of the hour. It's like the, there's like the big wipe, like the the slate changes on the TV and it's like whoosh and like Wolf Blitzer standing there looking very serious. Like this is that part of the podcast. So Jordan, where the hell are we now? So obviously uh, last week, when it comes to COVID and baseball, all eyes were on the Miami Marlins because they seem to be experiencing an outbreak that uh, reached over half their roster. Since then, uh, the Marlins have claimed a bunch of pitchers to fill these spots. They have waited out uh, kind of and confirmed that no one else in their current traveling party has tested positive. They sent all of their players who did test positive back to Miami on a bus. Which want to talk about crazy. that for a second. Let's talk yeah. about the bus for a second. Okay. Yeah. So first question, who's driving the bus? Tough assignment. It is, that to me is the perfect example of how holding a baseball season during a pandemic impacts more than the players and the coaches and the employees of the teams, right? That is an ask to someone that is in just crazy. Like that is such a heavy ask of any human being to do that and just really symbolizes how immoral a lot of this is. And like, I don't know, I, I've been on a lot of buses to baseball games and I could not imagine like the, I don't have words to like describe, like, do they watch a movie? Yeah, very strange. But I so guess they decided strange, that they man. would be better off in Miami than not, than in the Philadelphia hotel, which, okay, fine. So, that is what happened with the Marlins. That was last week. So now the team currently is going to consist of uh, whoever did not test positive, obviously. They're going to call up a fair number of rookies. As we talked about with Craig Mish, they're not going to call up all of their top prospects because that would not be smart for the prospects or for the team. Uh, and they have claimed a bunch of pitchers and traded for a bunch of pitchers on waivers. Okay. 
They are scheduled to return. The Marlins are scheduled to return against the Baltimore Orioles on Tuesday. So they will resume their season, which seems crazy, but they are going to do that. And part of what's super wild is that we don't know which players are going to be there, right? So because a lot of this information is private, as it should be, the 30 people who show up to play the Orioles tomorrow, we have very little idea right now at 1.10 p.m. on Monday what that's going to look like, right? And that adds to the like lack of transparency and fairness of the season in general, where like the Orioles don't know who the Marlins have. The Marlins don't necessarily even know who they're going to have. They've played three games. Yeah. What? And so, so let's move from, okay, so, so that's what's going on with the Marlins. Um, obviously, we hope that all the players who did test positive can get healthy, are safe. You know, maybe we have them back in two weeks, whatever. Doesn't matter. The point is, is that the Marlins are going to continue their season, which did not appear necessarily definitely going to happen a week ago. So, the other thing that we've gotten about the Marlins, we've also received reports that it is unclear whether it was the cause of the outbreak, but it was reported that players were not necessarily following protocol, right? And this raises up a conversation about like players following protocol versus the protocols not being strict enough versus the protocols not being taken seriously and upheld by the league. And I think players need to take an amount of responsibility to not like go to a bar, but the team needs to take it more seriously in terms of enforcing the protocol. And the reason that those teams didn't take it seriously or haven't some teams, again, some teams are, some teams are maybe not. The reason the teams haven't been enforcing it enough is because the league didn't enforce it enough or didn't take it seriously or didn't prioritize it in the months before the season started. And the reason that the league didn't take it seriously enough is because all of our governments failed, right? Like, the American system is broken and didn't work to contain this virus. And that impact trickles down all the way to the Marlins going to a bar. Is it bad that the Marlins went to a bar? Yes. That bar should not be open. Right? Right. So that's the thing. It, it's going to it's impact. It always goes farther up the ladder, right? So it's easy to blame the players, but... Players are are part of this larger situation. So, okay, so that's that's the Marlins. Now, another team that has only played three games, but has not had an outbreak within their team, is the Philadelphia Phillies, who played a game against the Marlins on the day that they had an outbreak. And we talked about this with Craig Mish last week. Why the hell did they play that game? And now it is even more extreme to ask why the hell did they play that game? Because we had then a week where we see the Marlins have an outbreak and the worry was that, oh my God, they had an outbreak and then they played. Did they transmit this? Did they transmit COVID potentially on the field during the game to their opponent, the Philadelphia Phillies? They had to take super precautions with the Phillies to make sure that they didn't test positive. And we got reports that a clubhouse attendant did test positive. I think two, potentially. One coach as well. Important to remember here, just popping in, non-players testing positive in your head you, the listener, should have the same moral weight as a player testing positive. Everyone is a human being. Sorry, please continue. Totally agree. But 
we were waiting to see, like, were the Phillies at risk, right? Did the league put the Phillies at risk by having them play that game? Did the Marlins put the Phillies at risk by having that game? Now, as we stand now, the Phillies are also scheduled to return tonight against the Yankees, and we have not had any positive tests among players, which at this point, it is not by any means a conclusion that transmissibility on the field may be low. Good. Now, the reason I bring this up is that had they not played that game the day of the outbreak that they knew was happening, it's very possible that the Phillies could have had continued on and said, listen, right. we, we didn't take the field after the outbreak and they their schedule would not have been completely derailed. And that is where the league is accountable and takes responsibility there because that is how fragile this is. And if you're going to play a season where you're juggling the schedule this much, that one mistake has now cost the Phillies a whole week, not just of games that they missed that they're going to have to make up, but now they have to also get fresh and play freaking Garrett Cole tonight, which is an insane ask for a team that has been stuck in a hotel for a week. And like that is extremely unfair to the Phillies who have been following the protocols and have done nothing to deserve this situation. And that is really, really, that is where, again, health and safety, number one, most important, more important than any baseball being played. But if we're talking about the competitive balance, that is a mistake on the league's part that affected a team that did not screw up on their own. And there's a level of it where like you impact the competitive balance enough where it's like, okay, what's the point? Well, like, why are we having this season? I think that like, you know, having the game, having the games on as an existing thing to watch is slightly different than like who's winning and losing. Right. But still, you know, the Phillies and Marlins have each played three games. Other teams have played 10. That's <laughs> going to be very difficult to make it up. And I don't know, man, it's. And, that, and that's where as we move along, it is probably going to make sense to cancel one game than to have to cancel the next eight because you mm -hmm. let them play that one. Cardinals. The last team we have to talk about is the St. Louis Cardinals, who last week we heard as they were leaving Minnesota and arriving in Milwaukee, received a troubling number of positive tests. As we record this now on Monday afternoon, it is unclear exactly how many players and staff have tested positive. We've received vague reports that it is a large number uh, or larger number than one or two, which is concerning and would qualify as an outbreak. We do not know the exact ramifications of that for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, but we have a feeling as we saw what happened with the Phillies and even the, Mar uh, certainly the Marlins and even the Phillies, hard to imagine the Cardinals are going to be playing now for at least a few days. Um, and that's kind of where we are with that. And that is also, the thing is this like, are we going to continue with the season? Probably. Um, but are we going to just have teams continually miss weeks because they have these outbreaks? I guess so. I don't really know. What's, what's also tough is like guys testing positive, we don't know to what extent them testing positive is their own fault. Totally fair. Like, I don't totally think that fair. that's fair. Like, yep. if one player, you know, touches a surface and gets COVID versus one person, like, you know, went to Club Love or whatever, like, Very people don't know. And I will also say, you know, you talk about the days off being tough for scheduling. It's also tough for just teams staying fresh. We mentioned the yeah. Phillies facing Garrett Cole after not playing for a week, Jack Flaherty throwing a bullpen into a mattress in his hotel room so that he can get his throwing in like, like that is emblematic of the fact that he can't like go play catch somewhere in a season where we have already seen a rash of pitcher injuries, like a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, all right. Let's, that's let's all the pivot. terrible news. Yes. Let's pivot to more. I mean, 
sort of terrible news, but mostly just bizarre news. Uh, and of course, the biggest story of the weekend in non-COVID world, even though it's slightly related. Uh, let's talk about what happened with Ioannis Espedes and the Mets yesterday. So Mets. we'll get into all of the details uh, with Disha in a little bit. But overview is around 2 p.m. in the middle of the Mets game. There was a statement put out by the Mets that they didn't know where Ioannis was, that he hadn't showed up to the game. Uh, they were unable to contact him. 50 minutes passed. In those 50 minutes, people were losing it a little bit, including us, where it was like, okay, is he safe? Like, if you can't contact him, like, is he in danger? Every People are thinking the worst. Then the Mets release a statement. We have reason to believe that he's safe. And then it comes out after the game that he was opting out. Okay. We're going to get into some of it later. Again, I want to talk. What do you want to talk about now? Like, how do you, what do you want to, where do you want to start? I think really just like, from the, oh my God, this is terrifying, to the, well, that's it for you, NSS for this playing baseball this season. Uh, just like, what? How, how are we feeling? I mean, it is concern, man. Like, we obviously very much like watching him play baseball. But like, again, we don't know him personally. But like, when you hear that a human being is unable to be contacted or reached... And their employer is saying that publicly in this day and age where everyone owns a phone, like that is, is concern, right? For him, for his family, for the people close to him. That was my first thought. And there was like, you know, 50 minutes where like there was this concern for him, for his family was, was very, very real for not just us, but I'm sure for a lot of other baseball fans, for Mets fans, for people who, you know, personally know him and didn't know where he was either. And that is the level of frustration with putting that statement out for the Mets. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, we'll get into that later. But, um, but yeah, I agree. It was, it was very scary. It was very bizarre. Um, and this is, you know, we've, Johannes Cespedes has done all kinds of crazy shit over the last five years. Uh, you know, some good, some bad. It's always not always been the best for the Mets, not always been the best for him. Um, but that was also part of it. It's like I was so concerned, but it was also like, well, like if anyone's going to disappear and not tell anybody, it is probably this guy. Um, and that weirdly gave me some level of, well, of there was security. There's also the angle but, to it, right? Like yeah. he has dropped news on the Mets before or on the media before without telling the Mets. Like when he got the heel surgeries, he just kind of announced it and the Mets had no idea that he was considering that. So clearly there has been some sort of issue in terms of communication in that relationship up to this point. Otherwise, you know, like Lorenzo Cain clearly told the Brewers that he was opting out and felt compelled to tell the Brewers and felt like that relationship was strong enough that he should. And Ioannis, for whatever reason, we don't know, didn't feel that. Right. And I'm not excusing him like you, you, he should have told the Mets that he was opting out. Right. But he chose a, not like a low road, but he made a mistake. And then the Mets like out immoral mistaked him almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. And, uh, yeah. And that's, that's the weird thing. And then I guess like, again, cause we're about to talk about this with Disha, but, um, he's not playing baseball anymore this year. How do we feel about his return on the baseball field and how that makes us feel about him going into 2021? Because, I mean, like, he has the amazing home run on opening day. 
He has a couple more awesome home runs in a few other games. He was also striking out 50% of the time. Didn't look like quite the same athlete. Uh, wow. What do we think? Where do we think this goes in terms of him on the field? He'll play in the big leagues again, for sure. Um, I think personally, just, you know, being privileged enough to watch him play the season, getting to see him come back. Like there was a chance he was never going to play again. And he worked his ass off to the point where he was able to play and Homer in a major league game. And that moment on opening day, forget everything that was before it and everything that was after it. That was pure. That was pure joy, you know, for him. And yeah. I'm glad that he had that moment because um, I'm sure it meant a lot, right? There's a lot of time, a lot of sweat that went into that. And I'm wary that like, he's never going to be that same guy again. And I'm, I'm worried that like, you know, MLB GMs will be slightly skeptical, maybe fairly so, maybe unfairly so about like bringing in a guy who left without telling anybody. But I believe that someone will give him a chance to play baseball and universal DH huge. Yeah. You know, he's going to be 35 next year. And like you said, right. Like you could imagine GMs are going to be like, oh, I don't want to sign that guy if he did that. But also like, this was very likely a, like has to do with his relationship with the Mets and like that. Is and like clearly more specifically, something- more specifically the Wilpons. Um, and, and that's, there's so many bizarre elements of this, but most importantly, and I think so obviously he has all the reason in the world to opt out as any player does for literally any reason during a pandemic. I know there are reports. Oh yeah. His mom is ill. So it's like, no, anyone who is playing baseball during a pandemic can opt out because they're playing baseball during a pandemic. I, it yeah. honestly doesn't even matter to me how many family members are at risk or how much fa- like you don't it's even need to say that you don't even need to say that. Right. And the people saying, Oh my God, he, he didn't think he was going to get his incentives. He's already made over a hundred million dollars. It was not about the freaking money. There is no way it was about the freaking money. No chance. Sorry. Um, so all that said, um, I can only imagine what is it like to actually have your job rely on covering the team. And so with that said, <laughs> covering the Mets is not just a job. It is, it is a lifestyle <laughs> in, in good ways and bad. And so to get a perspective that is uh, far deeper than anything we can offer, uh, let's go ahead and welcome in Disha Thosar of the New York Daily News. Calling Disha Thosar, large blue diamond, large orange diamond, keycap seven. To continue this discussion about our beloved Johannes Cespedes and the bizarre day that was on Sunday, we bring in uh, Mets beat reporter for the New York Daily News, Disha Thosar. Disha, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So how was your day yesterday? Oh, you know, not, not stressful at all. Just super ordinary, run-of-the-mill day. Just, um, just having a yeah. normal one. Yeah, you know, it's just honestly, as, as far as Mets days go, pretty normal. Well, um, I'm glad you. Yeah. I'm glad you s- s- put it that way. As far as Mets days go, right. pretty normal. I mean, honestly, I have to remind myself that it was bizarre after talking to you know Mets fans because it was like, oh, deal with this stuff every day. We're gonna walk through your day yesterday in a minute, but before we do, on the spectrum of weird Mets days, where does this fall? Like there have been some very odd ones, obviously. For sure. I mean, personally, when I'm, I've I've heard about the odd ones when I wasn't covering the team, but 
Um, based on when I did start covering the team, it's right up there with the Mickey Calloway incident. I mean, mm. if not equal, you know, just in terms of bizarre and the, the way that the day panned out, I think that's the only thing I can personally compare the coverage to and the news cycle to. Okay. So no one threw we, a chair yesterday. Though. No. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe as far as, you know, yeah, it could be, <laughs> it could have been part of it. Uh, right. so we certainly experienced it like, you know, most fans who just suddenly one inning into the game, got this notification and statement from Brody, but I want to know how you experience it as someone reporting and covering the team. Obviously you're not in Atlanta because there's a pandemic. I don't know if you guys saw, uh, but you, you are covering this a lot more closely. Uh, so from the beginning where we find out he's not in the lineup to, I guess we find out he's opting out. What was that experience like for you? Let's start in the morning. Um, yeah, definitely. When they announced the, well, I guess to backpedal, it starts when we, as the media asked Rojas, um, what the deal was with Cespedes before the lineup was even released. Um, not even in a way that it's like, why isn't he in the lineup? It was more the way Rojas put it. It was like, it's a normal day off for him. You know, people are still coming in night game, afternoon game, totally normal for someone like (laughs) narrator, narrator. It was not a normal day off. Right. So this is how it was posed. And um, I mean, if, if anything, the, the three people I would think would have that day off after an uh, night game would be Ramos, who did have the day off, um, Cespedes and Cano. So the fact that it was two out of those three, it was like, as reporters were like, all right, run of the mill. Um, fast forward to the first inning. And that's when we get the email. And immediately it was like, it, who's first of all, my first thought was, who's getting this email? Is this going sent out to the entire beat, to national reporters? And if it's a second one, then this is going to be a huge deal. If it's just a beat, they're keeping it local. It's like, huh, well, either way, it's going to be national news because of Twitter. But um, their intention, I think, on that matters. But turns out it was to national reporters as well. So now it's a huge story. It's blowing up. Um, and I'm just sitting there like, oh, I have to find out more information on this. Contacting everyone that I could possibly contact super quiet. Like, I mean, no news, like less than usual news. And I noticed that that was the same case with Twitter. I mean, like he was just dead, like nothing was coming out until like that 54 minutes later, um, we get a text from a PR person saying we have no reason to believe that his safety is at risk. So now I'm pissed. I'm like, why did we even go through this whole thing? The last hour wondering have law enforcement been contacted had police been like ransacking his room and like his Cespedes in Atlanta somewhere roaming. Like it was just like a, a whole, you know, those 44 minutes were, were very stressful, not just for me, but as a reporter, but clearly for the fan base. And I mean, still looking back, there was no need for that level of concern if they knew at that time that he was, you know, seriously. Okay. Right. There's, we, there's two things that happened, right? Either they didn't know what his whereabouts were genuinely at that time in which case right. it's irresponsible to put something out preemptively or sure. they did and they took 45 minutes to not say anything and scare the shit out of everybody for no reason. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I seriously do not believe that they thought anyone would be scared by this news. It was more just like they thought immediately it would be like, Oh, well he didn't show up to the park. Instead, everyone's reaction was like, okay, he didn't show up to the park. And then what, you know? <laughs> um, so it's, yeah. So even, even if, you know, let, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, which is what they're claiming is that they didn't know. And they sent out that release and then they sent security to his room to check if he was there. Um, 
And then once they saw that he was, you know, his stuff was packed away, that gave them reason to believe that he's safe. Um, but even then, if, if they're holding to tell us what happened with the hotel room and all of that, there is language that could have been used in that first statement to make that clear. You know, we at this time don't know where he is, but we're doing our best efforts or, you know, we're concerned for his safety. We have law enforcement on it. We're so, even, even if they didn't contact Atlanta local police, they can say like, we sent our own security team, which is what they eventually did. Um, you know, there, there was just no, if they were, if they were super careful and um, transparent with the method that they were using, which we know that this is the method so they weren't, but they, they could have used all of that language to calm down the fan base and the public as things were escalating. So I think that was their definitely their first misstep in a day of tons of missteps. <laughs> that's that's um, like the Mets tagline. The New York Mets. Probably a better way to handle this. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, and then we are like honestly just sitting there the whole game at that point, because it's like the third or fourth inning, like writing up this crazy news story as much as I can from my end, still trying to figure out if anyone's gonna talk about this, wasn't getting any responses. And, um, you know, like my editor's reaching out to me, like how many files, like we expect, like how many articles are you writing? Like, I need to know what the situation is before I can like form an opinion on how many things I'm writing. So eventually we find out that Brody's going to talk to us. Um, and then it was like, okay, this is like, you know, there were rumors starting to come, I think around the seventh or eighth inning that it was like, he's opting out. And, um, that was what kind of, I was prepared for. And as soon as Brody came on, it was like, or announced that Brody was going to talk to us. It was like, yeah, he's definitely opting out because why else would any of this, you know, have happened? So that was, that was the buildup to that. <laughs> right. Right. And so when you hear Brody's talking, right yeah. at that point, like then it's like, well, he's going to wait till after the game. So it's probably not an emergency, emergency, emergency. Exactly. Um, and he knows what it is. So you get on the zoom call with Brody after the game. My right. first question is, because I know these Zoom calls all the people before said, <laughs> in a situation like that where it's so obvious what's going to happen, did anyone ask a question or did he come on with a statement? Like, did he, did he have to wait for someone to be like, so uh, what's <laughs> up? Uh, what's going on with that Cespedes guy? <laughs> like, how did that right. go in the very beginning? Um, like, Brody, well, can you break I mean, down how uh, <laughs> the bullpen looked today? Thanks. Right, right, right. Like, we completely bypassed the situation. Um, no, the, the one thing we can always expect from Brody is that he will begin any news conference with an opening statement. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, I mean, it could be like, you know, they, they got Billy Hamilton and it'll be like, here's an opening statement. Um, it's like how I so, wrote papers in college. It was like, you know, the first <laughs> paragraph, it's all fluff. Yeah. He's, he's definitely super well-prepared in that, in that sense. You know, he's like ready with this draft and the talk work. Um, yeah, he opened, he opened the conference with, um, the news and he said, Cespedes is actually opting out. Um, at first it was very, you know, we support his decision and they were concerned for his well-being for a moment there. And that was like, kind of it, you know, there wasn't for his opening statement. And then we started asking questions. It was like, well, what was with that statement? What did you mean by that? Um, I asked him if he regrets the language that he used in that initial statement, because, after the public reaction, it's like, did you not think that that was going to happen? And he said he, there was no hidden agenda and he, um, there was no, he didn't even see the public reaction himself. He just, you know, that, that whole day was like for him, just like a, which is like, you know, obviously take his word or don't, but this is what he's telling us. And I know that there's conspiracies like, well, well then why'd they trade for Billy Hamilton or before, yeah. like they must've known. Um, yeah. And I know too, 
that, you know, the problem with the Mets, as, as Jane points out, is that it is equally as likely that they were like nastily trying to shame him as it is that they would be naive enough to put this out without thinking it was going to cause panic. Like both of those things are possible. Exactly. That's, that's, a, that's the thing I think a lot of people are missing in this whole scenario. It's not he's wrong. She's wrong. They did this. It's like everything is true at once. Like literally everyone messed up and they're, they're both, it's like that Spider-Man meme, like pointing fingers at each other. And that's the way it was left off. And that's kind of how things happen throughout, you know, his career with the Mets. So I personally, I think it's fitting. It's like, how could he have, you know, ended his career without doing something dramatic like this? Right. On his own bizarre terms. So I guess let's pivot to that now. Like, he took him to a World Series and then didn't play for two years and left without telling anybody. Right. Let's say five years from now, like, what do you think the legacy of Yoannis will be in Mets lore? Well, five years from now, he's going to be 39. So it's, I mean, it's like in Mets lore, I think they still definitely know that, you know, they helped them get there. There was no reason they, there was no way they got to the 2015 World Series without him. Um, and in the, even the fan base today, I'm actually a little surprised to learn that they're kind of, you know, on that same beat. Um, but I think five years from now, he still has that opportunity to try to sign with another team. I mean, he's by no means done. Like even looking at him, yeah, this is a terrible start to the season, but he's not the only one. Pete Alonso is looking at the plate. You know, it's not it, it, that home run that he hit. Like he he's clearly still got it. I think for him in that aspect, he'll have to convince another jam to sign him after the way that he left. Um, so that was a bad move on his part. But I think his his legacy for Mets fans will depend on what he does after this. I think this wasn't enough almost to erase his memory um, as helping them get to the World Series because that happens how often for Mets fans, you know? So I think in, – and and Mets fans are smart. I mean, they know, you know, they're not, like, they're, they're not just going to throw someone in the trash for, for some – I mean, they, they should, but they also equally know, like – how messed up the day was yesterday and the way the Mets handled it. So my last question for you is like, and this is something you you tweeted yesterday, is that like the weirdest part of all this, especially compared to some of these other opt-outs that we've seen, is that we haven't heard from Cespedes himself. We probably won't because it would be almost weird now to have a statement come out from him like, in the way that, like, when Lorenzo Cain opted out a few days ago, like the Brewers, it was all together and very organized. And the Brewers put out a statement, and then the and then Lorenzo Cain put out a statement. And it was like, okay, it all makes sense, right? Every team, yeah, it's like, okay, let's work with the team to put the statement together. Right. Let's get our team graphic on it. Exactly. Like, so now he is gone. He is probably to, on his ranch. He's probably he's also a free agent, technically, at the end of this season, right? And so, like, he's still on the Mets, but, like, it would almost be weird to have... He, it doesn't seem like they're going to come together and put out a statement together. So, do you think... I guess my, my question is, what is the next step in the immediate future? Do you think we hear from him? Is this now in the past and we are not going to hear anything about it from the Mets anymore for the rest of the season? Um, oh, from the Mets? I don't, I don't think we'll hear anything about it from the Mets. They, they, they're going to hope this situation goes away as quickly as possible. I mean, they didn't even want to give his players to talk about it to further, you know, the discussion. Right. Um, from the Mets, I think it's over, point blank. Um, but I think from Cespedes, we're not, we're not going to hear from him unless it's like a hype video in the offseason, you know, like he's, it's, he's going to start posting videos of him lifting weights and it's like, I'm ready. I'm coming back. And it's like, if, I mean, if he wants to talk about it, great. And he might, you know, tell, 
he ha- he definitely has some friends in the media. He might tell, you know, this is why the reason it really was for COVID. Um, it, it might not be for COVID. He might come out and completely trash the Mets. Who knows? Um, and in that case, maybe the Mets will jump back in the conversation, right? Because what we saw yesterday is they're not going to shy away. Um, <laughs> so if, if he comes back and trashes, there might be like a round two um, in our in our near future. But I, I, I personally don't think he's, Cespedes himself isn't going to talk about it until maybe he's ready to, to get on a team. I agree. Although I think it will be, I assume you and the other reporters eventually will be able to talk to other players about this. Oh, I know yeah. they shut him off yeah, yesterday, yeah. but I'm sure you will be asking him over the next few days. And that will be interesting to hear from some of his teammates. For sure. I mean, yeah, I think also it's, a, I mean, it, it's a weird year for everyone, but um, even yesterday was the perfect kind of day for reporters to just be in the clubhouse, you know, and get those reactions as they're happening. We shouldn't have to rely on PR to give his players reactions, you know? And I think even then, once we do get them through zoom, they just have kind of, a different filter of talking about it when it's through a screen. Right. So, and the team it, gets to pick who you get to talk to, right? The team does. Yep. The team gets to pick. I mean, I'm not, I I've heard rumblings of how, you know, other teams handle it, but um, with the Mets, we can give them our consideration of who a request for who we want for the player, but by no guarantee do we get that player. Yeah. So, well, I mean, they, that's yesterday was perfect for them because they chose, you know, Peterson who pitched who's a rookie who, pro- who like does it, Ever is never like you know. I don't think he's ever spoken to Cespedes. Right. Yeah, like I, I mean, I would be surprised if they've had a single conversation. Honestly, there's no reason for them to talk beyond you know, right. like a nicety, if that. Right. Honestly, um, I guess like we should ask you a question about the Mets, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, just, just ask as you can say you asked it then, right? <laughs> uh, how about those Mets? No, uh, how how worried should people be? right now like people who care about the Mets not us <laughs> I mean I think, I think it definitely messes up their their plan um they had structured their entire DH plan around Cespedes so that's a bummer I mean there's there's definitely not even you know a better scenario going into this season that lines them up better like who's the best DH in the National League it was Cespedes you know there's just like it was like a no no argument type of thing but in, in hindsight, I think this will actually help, you know, the squad that they have, like Dom is going to get more at bats now. Jimenez who's heating up is going to get at bats now. Like they kind of have more of um, a leverage and a power to use the lineup and the hitters that they have and not be restricted to, or even worried in the sense, like we have to use Cespedes, as he's struggling, we have to put him out there. Like this, you know, in, ter- in terms of lineup and offensive production, maybe today will be the day they put up like 12 runs. Right. But, um, but yeah, I, I think in that sense they shouldn't be super worried because he are, he wasn't even on the team since you know in 2018. So um, we haven't really seen besides that opening day homer what Cespedes was going to provide. Right, and it does feel like more important for Pete Alonso to get right than anything having to oh, do with yeah. Yo. Right, right, exactly. I mean, if he's he can be that DH, but you know he needs to, he needs to straighten it out too before. Um, all this, right. This podcast, I will say one last thing. This podcast, we are very much Dom Smith believers, and oh, yes. A huge upside to not getting to watch our single favorite baseball player play baseball for the rest of the year is knowing that Don Smith, Dom Smith, great person, great baseball player is going to get his go. Right. Well, that's the question I had for you guys. What are you going to do about your name? I mean, are you sticking to it? Is this it? I mean, you're, you're, you're in it until you die. Like what's happening? We're, we're, we're pretty committed. And like, honestly, (laughs) <laughs> he disappeared for two full years and we were still like, yep, everything's fine. 
So for, this is just another bizarre chapter uh, right. of of okay. this weirdo like, that we've tied our brand to. When we were seventeen years old, and like we Jordan came up with this dumb na- like name in my mom's living room, like this was never a consideration. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like I like to think that the whole time we have celebrated him for like mostly all the good stuff and. More than anything else, he has never failed to entertain. And I think that is, you know, the most, the like, other than our safety and his safety paramount, right? Like, he is compelling as he's ever been. Oh, yeah. I think you guys picked the right name. Yeah. And, like, was this a Can you imagine extremely- if we picked, like, Dion Vicieto or, like, you know, like, <laughs> Jeff Kepinger or, like, you know, Travis Darno? Like, man. Well, and I was going to say, like, he was this an unprofessional way for a tent? Yeah. Was it also kind of the most incredible Irish exit of all time? Right. Also, right. yeah. Sure. So, so both sure. things can be true. Wish, the one thing that I wish we had, in addition to obviously Cespedes' whole voice in this whole thing, is the pictures of the hotel room when they got in there. Like, the empty bed, the, the security guard's faces oh are like, God, oh, yes. no. God, like that could be a whole, you know, movie just out of yesterday alone. Is there a note? Did he leave a, a big tip? <laughs> right, a note. Exactly. <laughs> like, thank you for the cleaning service. Like, <laughs> I didn't get COVID. Like, what What do you say? Like, Left the towels on the bathroom floor. <laughs> oh, my God. I support reusable towels. You, like, who knows? You know, when you, like, <laughs> leave something in a hotel room, like, I once left, like, a suit jacket in a hotel room. I, like, call, like, the Embassy Suites and be like, hey, can you imagine if, like, Yoannis left, like, a pair of shoes? He's like, hey, right. um, so. <laughs> awkward, but, or they got their security and the only thing they saw were his shoes. Oh. There's so many. Yeah, you're right. It really is basically a movie. Um, All right. Well, Disha, thank you so much for joining us. This was an absolute pleasure. Uh, Now that we've gotten that news out of the way, let's talk about the end of the Tyler Bachelor era in New York. I can't (laughs) believe... No, okay. I'm kidding. No one cares. Uh, Thank you. There are some Bachelor fans. There are some Bachelor fans out there. uh, And the Bachelorette. uh, People love the Bachelor. The Bachelor. Disha, thank you so much. Where can people follow you and read your work? Um, they can follow me on Twitter at Disha Thosar and Daily News. Um, read those articles for sure. All right. Thank you to Disha on updating us on all things yo. We now send it to our next guest in this wonderful baseball barbecue episode. You know him possibly as Big Nate one of the best pitching prospects on earth. He made his major league debut against Max Scherzer, uh, and he is very good at pitching and a very nice gentleman. Let's go ahead and call Nate Pearson. Calling Nate Pearson, blue circle, bird head, flag of Canada. Very excited to welcome in one of the hardest-throwing human beings on the face of the earth. It is Mr. Nate Pearson of the Toronto Blue Jays. Nate, how are you doing, my friend? Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, So, Nate, a lot of people know about you and how you throw baseballs really hard, and you're one of the best pitching prospects in the game, whatever. Um, But none of this season has been normal for you, for anybody, for the Toronto Blue Jays especially. Um, but let's let's talk about your major league debut, which happened last week in front of an attendance of no fans and a few groundskeepers. 
I wanna, and Max Scherzer. I want to start before that, actually. Wait, I want to ask you about the call, the call up, right? Okay. Because, you know, when we as fans like see call up videos, they're usually like a dude who's been in AAA for like eight years and like they record it and he's like, everyone's crying. Like everyone knew you were going to pitch in the big leagues this year, right? And I'm sure <laughs> that you knew that too. So like, take me through you getting the call. So we were in Fenway for our exhibition games and I threw the first, uh, the first night, uh, didn't do too hot, but, uh, it was whatever. Then the next day, right before the game we played, they were having our meetings. They're telling guys who were making it and who wasn't. So going in, I knew they were probably going to be like, all right, well, we're, I thought they were going to keep me down at the alternate site until like the service time date is up. But, uh, so then I, I had my meeting with the GM, Charlie, and our pitching coach, and they said, all right, you're going to start the, the sixth game of the season. So I was doing the math, and I was like, yeah, that's right at the seventh day. So uh, I, found, I found out when I was going to make my major league debut a week ahead of time. So it was like, uh, it was like a special moment, but like, I didn't know, do I start celebrating now or do I, do I wait a few days or like, and I can't, I can only tell my parents right now. So it was, it was kind of weird. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you would normally like, Oh, you're in triple A or get on a plane, head up to Toronto. You know, I feel like that would have been a little bit more special, but I was kind of just on the taxi squad, like living the big league life until I was, until I debuted. <laughs> so I was with the team the whole time, all the way to my debut. So I was like, I got like five days of big league, uh, uh, routine under my belt before I debuted, so that was pretty sick. <laughs> Did you have is... to do the thing? You do the thing where you tell your parents, like, "Yo, you can't tell anybody." Like, you yeah. Can't. <laughs> well, my mom is like reckless on like Twitter and like social media, so I was like, <laughs> "Mom, you can't tell anyone yet because it's like it's officially unofficial. Like, it's <laughs> it's like it's not for sure. Yeah, they don't want to tell everyone because I think they're they're trying to keep it quiet for like starting rotation and everything." And she's like, all right, all right, cool, cool, cool. And but uh a couple tweets ended up going out that day that I was I was gonna make my debut in like the sixth game of the season, or like they were gonna keep me down, whatever. But um then a couple of days from my start, that's when it like it took off. That's when everyone found out, and um that's when it's the craziness started. So my question then is right, so you, you get a week in advance and Either way, like you knew in March, you knew in during the middle of quarantine, you knew if the season came back, you were going to pitch pretty early. When did you find out it was going to be you against Scherzer? At what day did that become obvious? And is that when it was like, oh shit, here we go? Well, yeah, in my meeting there, uh, they told me, yeah, it's going to be you versus Strasburg. I was like, dang, Strasburg? That's sick. But then I guess <laughs> Strasburg had a, like a nerve thing with his hand or whatever. And then like, uh, like three days uh before i started i found out it was scherzer and all the guys were like oh man they're hyping it up and everything and i was like yeah it's gonna be sick like just be able to face max scherzer is gonna be awesome but uh yeah it was it was sick were you watching him because like just the ability to be able to watch someone like max scherzer from you know 100 feet away is crazy but you were doing that during your MLB debut. Like, did you, were you ever on the bench and you looked up and you're like, Oh my God, that's like maybe the best pitcher in the world. Yeah, no, I was definitely watching. I was trying to see what he was throwing, uh, looking at the guys reactions when they're coming back in the dugout, all pissed off and everything. <laughs> kind of just not, not like laughing, but just like, well, yeah, he's, he's Max Scherzer. <laughs> right. so, uh, and yeah, and so. you you managed to, to match him. Like this was when it was clear, like, Holy shit, Pearson's going to make his debut against Scherzer. 
the general baseball world is like, oh my God, this is going to be awesome. And this happens sometimes where the stars align and you see these matchups and they sometimes it's just kind of like, ah, that didn't end up being that great. But you both go scoreless outings. You're both great the whole time. Uh, were you like, again, you're watching Scherzer when you're not pitching, you're trying to be a major league pitcher when you are pitching and there's no fans there, uh, <laughs> which, what, what other parts of the, of the debut experience were what you expected or completely different than what you expected? You know, I was just going into it. I was like, all right, man, I got to bring my best. So facing Scherzer, I cannot give up a run or else I may lose. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I have to go. I have to throw a shutout. I have to just not give up any hits or whatever. Cause I know Max, he was coming off like a rough outing from the Yankees, but he still K'd like 11 in his first game. So I was like, he's going to be pretty amped up to go. So I got to, I got to make sure I'm ready. I got to be efficient. And so I was just trying to stick to my game plan the whole time. And I was watching him and going about his. I was like, yeah, he's locked in. And so I just tried to keep on the same momentum as him. We were just going back and forth each inning. It was uh, it was really fun. I want to ask you about, a, about pitch counts. So like young pitchers, pitch counts make sense, right? But mm-hmm. it doesn't fit with the mentality of a starting pitcher. And it especially yeah. doesn't fit with the mentality of a guy like you where it's like, give me the ball, I'm going to finish the baseball game, right? So you know you're facing Max Scherzer, but you're, you got 75 pitches to work with. That's it. How, how do you perform without letting that in the back of your head impact what you're doing on the mound? I mean, it's, it's the same no matter what, no matter how many pitches I have. Like, you're trying to get guys like three pitches or less, you know, like if it's, you know, quick strikeouts, not, not getting to full counts, you know, just get guys out as quick as you can because – I mean, every pitch counts and you don't want to be in the fifth inning throwing a hundred pitches, you know, because then you're going to get pulled. So you want to go as deep of the game as I can. And I was, I was pretty efficient for set, only having 75 pitches. I knew, I knew they were going to keep me no matter what around five innings. Even if I was only, if I was dealing, I was like five innings and like 60. I knew they were probably going to keep me like five innings just because they had pitchers and uh, we have a big roster. So they got to throw guys. So I think I was only going to throw five innings no matter what, but, uh, I was just trying to throw five like clean innings. And, uh, that's the only really thing I was focusing on. What's the last time you threw without a pitch count college? Yeah, I threw a, I threw a CG and Juco, uh, nine innings, like two hits, uh, like 15 K's and I got up to like 135 pitches. <laughs> was, right. And uh, all, the, a, all the teams, a, all the teams drafting in the first round, like, no, take yeah, him out, they're probably, please. They're probably like, yo, this guy's still doing too many. But, uh, when you, when you're throwing that good though, and like, it's not stressful pitches, like right. it's, it's, it's hard to explain when there's like a runner on second and third, every inning, those are stressful pitches. That's when you, you wake up the next day and you're a little bit more sore because your your heart rate wasn't like like intensified and you're like you're trying to compete even more and that's what the those pitches are a lot more stressful but when you're like just moving through the lineup and just kind of cruising like you're 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 golden it's so weird right because like high school and college you're most major leaguers are the best players or pitchers on their high school college team right so it's like mm-hmm. give me the ball i'm going to finish it but then you get to the minors for every pitcher now, and then the reins go on. Yeah. And then you get back to the big leagues, and then they're off again. So it's just such a weird, like, be the bulldog, now rest, now be the bulldog again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we had to learn quick. Like, all the all the like the college guys, all the SEC uh, pitches that are coming out of SEC, they were just being bulldogs and everything. Like, they're... Like you can't come in here and try to be like a Max Scherzer at the like at like high A because they're gonna be like, 
all right, buddy, chill out. Like, yeah, this, this it's is the Florida State League. No one gives yes. a shit, bro. If the they're Florida letting State you, League, no one's watching. <laughs> if they're letting you throw a hundred pitches in the Florida State League, then you're they probably don't care about you. Exactly. Right. Like if you're like, yeah, it's just it's just a learning curve. You had to you had to get used to it. Like, all right, this is just how the things are in the minors. Like, you just gotta get up to the big leagues, and then you can you can argue for those last three innings or two innings when you're, when your pitch counts getting high because you're, you're ownership of your own career at that point. But until then, you know, the teams kind of do what they want. Uh, so Nate, you're known for throwing really hard. Do you like being the guy that everyone thinks? Like I saw some crazy quote that was like, yeah, from, I think your coach that was like, yeah, he's going to throw 110 someday. And I'm like, Jesus, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's roll. listen. All right. Let's, let's enjoy what we have now. Do you like being the guy, the big guy that throws hard or do you, want to like do you like striking people out more with your slider and change up than you do blowing high heat past them i mean i like both like nothing, nothing beats like an elevated fastball like 100 101 like swing and miss but like also when you get a slider and you just rip off a nasty slider for a swing and miss or even a change up and just to have just to know that they you have a hundred in the bag elevated and you also have that change up down and away that can take you to a knee or a slider that'll just, you know, drop off the table. It's kind of just building that whole repertoire. I want to be that full complete pitcher like Scherzer or DeGrom, you know, that's what makes them so good. Like, yeah, they, they all throw hard too, but like their, their fastball is not the only thing that makes them great. You know? Uh, I'm also curious, we, we just have to ask, was it weird at all pitching with no fans? I don't know what the crowd noise situation was. Um, but did that phase, I mean, clearly didn't phase you that much, but what were the weird elements of that? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, uh, it's weird. Cause like me and the starting pitchers on our team were, were talking. It's like, yeah, once you get out there, you, you forget that there's no fans there. Like that's how it is in a regular game too. You like, you know, the fans are there and they're watching and you hear the noise and everything, but like, you're not like paying attention to like what's going on in the stands. So I kind of, you kind of just get in the the rhythm of competing and you just totally block out everything else. I also love like, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you have games in college where you were pitching in front of fewer people than were in the stadium the other day? Yeah. Like there's still like uh <laughs> there's still media up there behind home right. plate and stuff. Like, so they're like the people who work in the stadium or whatever, there's still like people there. They're not fans, I guess, but they're, they're still in attendance. So, and Juco, when we're playing on like these, you know, these, dirt lot feels like it's it's really about the same so it was kind of it was kind of just humbling really and also like it doesn't matter if there's no fans like you got to pitch in fenway park during the exhibition <laughs> game like that's yeah right incredible right and you will obviously continue to get to do that uh okay last question for you because um i mean we're very excited to get to watch you pitch but you are also a member of the toronto vagabond we have no home park blue jays uh back to the miners back, back yeah, to the miners Nate. Yeah, you thought you were done with buffalo but no <laughs> you're going back <laughs> to buffalo uh in a couple weeks uh i guess i just want to get a sense for the mentality of the team so far because you know you've you played some some decent baseball thus far um what what are, what are the vibes uh, for the toronto blue jays right now man we're just we're just wearing it <laughs> we're going through stuff that no other team is going through and uh i think they're talking about now when we go to buffalo we have to be quarantined because like the the governor there so there's there's some extra crap that's going on where they we basically can't leave our hotel room it's like well we go from toronto where we're in a bubble which we got we kind of got used to the bubble obviously the older guys who have like kids and everything are missing their family and they're trying to 
figure out a way if we were going to have a season there to have them up there. But the bubble was kind of, it was, it's kind of nice. Like they, they made it nice for us. We couldn't really go outside at all, but you know, we could see outside right. <laughs> and we had the roof, but uh, yeah, no, Buffalo is going to be different. I was messing with uh, some of the, some of the guys I know that are in the alternate training site that are close to making their major league debut. And I was like, dude, you're about to, you're about to debut in Buffalo. <laughs> but I was, I was right. like, I was just thankful that I got to debut in a big league ballpark. Like I got two starts in a, in a big league ballpark, one at Fenway and then one in, uh, in DC. So at least I got to, you know, uh. see it see and experience that even with no fans but i mean i couldn't imagine debuting in buffalo but uh it's definitely gonna be different but we're kind of just owning it like we're 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 not pumped to play buffalo but we're pumped to see the new york yankees and exactly. all these other high power teams in yes. buffalo playing us like that is we're exactly gonna have we're gonna saying. have garrett cole we're gonna have garrett cole on the mound in buffalo <laughs> and we're gonna have aaron judge out there in a triple a ballpark when he's completely healthy, he's not on a rehab and, <laughs> and you know, it's just gonna be fun. I think we're gonna have the advantage because we're, you know, just, we're, we're having fun with it. All these other teams are gonna be like, Oh man, we're playing the blue Jays in, in Buffalo. Like, what is this? And it's going to be a terrible locker room, you know, but we're, we're just gonna, we're just gonna wear it and just gonna own it. I love it. Right. Because 100%. think about like, you've been on a lot of baseball teams and a lot of times like teams will build this narrative around themselves. That's bullshit. Like to try and like, pretend like this is different, right? Like yeah. we are together in a unique way. And like 99% of the time it's total crap because like <laughs> it, it's not you're, true. Like you're just, you're just like the 2011 team. Detroit Tigers. Like that's all you are or whatever. Right. But like for you guys, like it is real, right? Like it's yeah. so abnormal. Yeah. We are the underdogs and see, hopefully we can get an advantage from that, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It, it will be it will be very interesting, and I know you didn't spend that much time in Buffalo because, you know, you're Nate Pearson. You didn't have to spend that much time there. But uh, <laughs> I agree with you. I do think it is going to be weirdly an advantage more so because uh, half yeah. your team has like spent time playing in Buffalo. Like it's just not. It's al- almostly that simple. Uh, yeah, and I mean, and it's Cole not. It's not. <laughs> it's not a terrible field either. It's just not like bigly clubhouse and right, right right and everything but i mean i think they're 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 like renovating it making it like uh like club more clubhouse space and everything i know they're gonna make it nice by the time we get there so we're looking forward to seeing it all right nate thank you man we appreciate you coming on yeah thanks for having me guys it was fun all right thank you to Big Nate, Mr. Nate Pearson, for joining us. Uh, that was very enjoyable, and I look forward to watching him throw baseballs for the next Hard. 15 years. Hardly. Yes. yes. All right. Uh, for the rest of the show, we're going to be introducing a few uh, more new segments. Uh, last episode, we did the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to save that uh, for Thursday episodes. Um, but today, I am very excited to introduce uh, the first edition of what we are going to call Sorry for Your Mentions. Uh, Jake, uh, what what is this uh, segment all about? This segment is all about the idea that the social media manager of the teams is very rarely at fault for the uh, bad actions taken by specific teams. Uh, So what we're going to do in this segment is we're going to literally go through the mentions of Major League teams, and we're going to just pick out some great stuff, and we're going to talk about it. And whom's better to begin this segment off than the New York Metropolitans 
on the heels of trading for Billy Hamilton and smearing Yoannis Cespedes. Jordan, tell me about these mentions. And getting their ass kicked in it. Oh, yeah, they suck now, too, right? <laughs> so, so this is just, I just love, because you know, when a team's not doing so great, no matter what the team puts out, they are just going to get absolutely shredded. Right. The The most extreme example of this is like if a team goes to like a hospital visit, right? And like they're on like a five-game losing streak and in the mentions, it's like bench, blah, blah, blah. You suck. <laughs> trade for a closer, like blah, blah, blah. Like it does, it does not, it does not matter. All right. So let's just go ahead and take a look. Uh, here we have, uh, a tweet from the New York Mets final Mets 10 Atlanta 11 uh, a, a healthy <laughs> one uh, a healthy 500 replies uh, to that which as you if you know anything about ratios uh, is not good uh, here we've got a this is a good tweet here it says uh, I've never been a part of such a joke this team is absolutely ridiculous the coach is awful fire Callaway this guy doesn't know what? that Callaway is still around. I actually had hope and you failed me. The leaders like Nimmo Davis and Conforto need to step up and do something. DeGrom needs to be a dugout leader also. He's failing. Okay, let's just pick this apart one by one. First thing, the fan saying he's never been a part of something as big of a joke. Yes. My man, you're not a part of this. Yes. <laughs> like, you're not on the Mets. Yes. Um, okay, so that was tough. All right, well, yesterday, final Mets zero, Atlanta four. Oh, they lost uh, by the again. way, by the way, I'm not going to give uh, these people responding their actual Twitter handles. One, because I hate when people read Twitter handles on podcasts. And two, because these takes are so bad, I'm not going to actually <laughs> give them any, any clout here on Baseball Barbecue. <clears throat> There's only just one a, thing that just, makes... Just a little bit of clout. There's a little bit of clout. There's only one thing that makes the pandemic worse. That's the men's horrible play so far. <laughs> when will this team return to the majors? Sell it already. We need to root for a real team. Uh, before uh, yesterday's Yoannis mess, they traded reliever Tyler Bashler to Pittsburgh for yeah. cash considerations. <laughs> to which someone oh, responded, really? "Yeah." To which someone responded, "He'll go on to become a dominant closer there. Here, he was a home rum magnet. <laughs> home rum magnet. Uh, okay, a uh, home rum. Magnet. Someone responds, "The season is uh. saved. Thanks for the exciting update." Uh, someone responds, can this team score a damn run? Jesus. Uh, Here's says, what I love. Here's what I love about these is that they're tweeting it at the Mets, like at the team, right? So like, can you read the one not right before the Bachelor one? Do you have that one up still? Mm. There's only one thing that makes the pandemic worse. That's the Mets horrible play so far. When will this team return to the majors? Like, Sell imagine, it already. Imagine saying that like to the Mets, right? Like, <laughs> it's you. They don't say you, right? It's like the Mets, Mets. Uh, okay, we've Give got me one a, or two more. Give me one another. Or two more. Okay, final. This is uh, from earlier in the weekend. Final Mets one, Atlanta seven. Uh, Alonzo looking like Chris Davis. The entire pitching rotation besides Degrom is pathetic. The lineup is great until men get on base. Then we turn into the worst offense of all time. Rojas is just as bad as Callaway. Brody's a clown. But the season's getting canceled, so who cares? <laughs> You care. Oh, Clearly man. you care. If you if you're taking the time to write out that whole tweet and then you finish it with who cares is such a delightful cell phone. Uh, and then finally, last one here. Uh, Mets, we've acquired outfielder Billy Hamilton from San Francisco for right-handed pitcher Jordan Humphreys. Uh, our friend 
this guy, Mr. Green Man, as he is known on Mass oh, Winner, responds, Keon Broxton and Jake Marisic didn't work out, but this no-hit center fielder surely will. So, at uh, Mets, whoever is running at Mets, my apologies. Sorry. Uh, I know it is a tough week for you. Sorry for your mentions. Ah, uh, that's a fun segment. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do that every week. Um, and you, who knows? Maybe it'll be the Mets every week. All right, Jordan. It very well might be. Moving forward, this season is young. And like many young seasons, the first couple weeks provide us with a quick glance into players who were not good, who might be good, but are they? The Max Muncies of the world, yes, but also one time Emilio Bonifacio is hitting like 500 in April. So you never know. So this is a segment called Actually Good. Jordan, I'm going to just read some names. <laughs> Tell so me you're gonna, actually good. You, you've got some hitters. For me, for I've got yeah. I've got three pitchers, but let's let's see some hitters because I know there's some guys off to some hot starts. Mike Yastrzemski, is he actually good? I think he is actually good. He's not this good, but I think he is a good major league baseball player. Yes, I do believe that. Okay, how good? I think like as good as last year, not anywhere close to as good as this year. Like good enough to start on the Orioles. Good. Yes, hundred uh, percent. <laughs> Brian Goodwin. He has been raking to start the season. Had actually no good. idea. Had no idea that Brian Goodwin was actually good uh, this year in any amount of sample size. Uh, I am going to respectfully decline uh, okay. a, a Brian Goodwin being good. Now, I'm not saying he should just not belong in the major leagues. I'm sure he's filled in nicely while uh, Papa Trout was was uh, off on paternity list. Uh, but no, I'm I'm not. I I say he is not actually actually good. Okay, because. Yeah, eh, mm, Mike Trout, actually good. Yeah, right. actually good. Okay, Kyle Lewis, Jordan. Is Kyle Lewis of the Seattle oh. Mariners actually good? He's leading baseball, leading I believe, baseball in, in both yeah. hits and strikeouts. Oh, oh, what's that? Hits and strikeouts? Well, guess what? It's 2020. I don't give a shit how often he's whiffing. Kyle Lewis is the goddamn truth. Uh, he showed us. He, this is what he did last September, too. He hit a bunch of homers and struck out a bunch, and he was still an absolute delight to watch. Uh, yes, he is actually good. Hanser Alberto of the Baltimore Orioles, the lefty killer. He hit 398 last year against lefties. And this year he's hitting righties as well. Jordan is, is Hanser. Hanser? I should probably get a good pronunciation on that. That's on me. Is Mr. Alberto actually good? I think he is actually good. Ooh. Now, certainly by Orioles standards, he's actually good. And we're going to get to how good the Orioles actually are a little bit later. Uh, but I think he is. I, I would qualify him as a good Major League Baseball player. I would just mention to everyone that as of now, he is hitting 429. So keep an eye out, Ted Williams. All right. And my last hitter for you, Jordan, Jacoby Jones mm. of the Detroit Tigers, not of the Houston Texans. Yeah, I don't think Jacoby Jones, good. the football player, uh, is still playing. So credit to Jacoby Jones, the baseball player for uh, outlasting. By the way, one of my favorite broadcasting gaffes of all time was during spring training when Jacoby Jones came up with the Tigers and they were like, yeah, like he he plays football too. Like, I can't believe there aren't more people talking about this. And then they just kind of moved on. It was like, mm, there's two of them. Uh, is he Jacoby Jones, good? no. no. Okay. Uh, he, he's This is his fifth major league season and he has not come close to proving it yet. So I'm okay. going to pass on that one. All right. All right, I have three pitchers for you, Jake Mintz. Hit me. I'm going to begin with a ringer favorite, one of two starting pitchers 
with a zero ERA after two starts. I know Lance Lynn. Yes, Mr. he's actually good. Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn is he? Is he? He's the real deal. Lance Lynn is actually good, but he is not. Lance Lynn is very, very, very good and deserves more credit. But I don't know if he's zero ERA good. Actually uh, good, not actually Cy Young. I see. I see. Not Six, Jacob DeGrom. 16 scoreless innings stretching back to last September. Um, so, you know, Oral Hershiser, uh, eat your heart out. Good luck, buddy. All right. One more starting pitcher. I feel pretty good about how you're going to uh, going to going to give me this one. I did not realize how good he has been, but there's a lot of talk now because he's on a big market team. He's been striking out a lot and he looks way better than he did last year. Is Tyler Chatwood actually good? Uh, I think so. I think he is. I was texting with a Cubs fan about this because the velo seems to be up. He's throwing a cutter a lot. No one can touch it. And the Cubs have a reputation for being able to fix guys. And like, I think so. I don't think he's like great. Like he's not going to be Jake Arrieta, but like, I think he's, he's, he's actually good. It's a weird one because he was such a disaster in 18. So bad. And then last year they kind of moved into the pen and he was, he was, you know, injured. Okay. So we didn't really know, but, um, but yeah, man, like, I mean, they clearly saw something in him, uh, but I'm more skeptical than you are. Just okay. because the walks are usually there. And one more pitcher for you, Jake Mintz. You hit me with Kyle Lewis. I'm going to go with the reliever here who's been one of the more enigmatic arms in your Baltimore Orioles bullpen. Miguel Castro and his zero ERA and more importantly, zero walks. Okay. The is zero walks are good? good. The zero walks are actually good. The zero ERA is a, a farce because... He did come into a game with the bases loaded and allow all three of those runners to score, I believe. So I don't think that's not good. Um, if you look at Miguel Castro, you're like, there's no way he's good. He weighs 100 and he's the only baseball player built like you, Jordan. But he's even taller. But he's even taller. It's like the Mike TV stretching him out machine. Miguel Castro is not actually good. He is actually better than he was. Okay, so you believe that he has made steps in the right direction. Yes. Last year, he had 100 ERA plus. Like, he was about as average of reliever as you can get. Now It I felt think, worse. It certainly so felt worse than average. If he was actually average before. Now, yes, Jordan, he's actually good. I'm such an optimist. This is a tough segment for me. Everyone's good. <laughs> you're feeling good You're feeling. You have good to about. debut this segment we talked about, you know, who fucking sucks. <laughs> We'll save that for later in the season when we know for sure who fucking sucks. Um, all right. Well, there you go. Now we we have declared it. Again, I think we're both fairly optimistic thus far. Uh, but hey, we didn't do who's actually bad uh, thus far, even though I did mention that Christian Yelich was like one for 28 last episode. He's not actually bad. All right. Moving on. Jake Mintz. I enjoyed that. Uh, I believe we have one final, a couple, couple segments left. Uh, mm. One more segment before we get to mm. our baseball moment of joy. Uh, because we're going to do that every episode, of course. Uh, let's do a little bias ball because I'm a Mariners fan. You're an Orioles fan. We're not even going to explain why, but the point is we like these teams that we thought were going to be absolutely terrible coming into the season. They were the teams with the lowest playoff odds uh, in Major League Baseball. Even with the expanded playoffs, they were both down below 5%. But now both of our teams have climbed into contention Jake Mintz, the Baltimore Orioles are above 500 in August. How are you feeling? I feel, I mean, about the world, I feel terrible. But about the Orioles, I feel great. I think, think it's their first sweep 
I think Two since years. like no, 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 no. I think since Babe Ruth was born. Oh. <laughs> it feels like it's been forever. No, first sweep in two years. They took all three from the Rays. And they were all like close games that they like eked out. And look, the Orioles postseason percentage right now is at 5.8, I believe, which in my head might as well be 75.8 because I feel outstanding. The thing that we talked about leading into the season was just looking for any semblance of hope in our terrible teams. And through eight games, the five and three Orioles have given me exactly that. If the season ended today, they would be the four seed, Jordan Schusterman. That's all I'm saying. How are you feeling about the abs? That's pretty good. I got to say, uh, two close losses uh, to Oakland over the last couple of days kind of took me down off that W3 that they mm. that they ran off there. They they got that that win in Houston, which felt great. Uh, the starting pitching has been the second time through the rotation has been absolutely amazing. Marco was great. Taiwan was great. Kikuchi was inexplicably amazing, and Kendall Graveman also looks shockingly good. But my God, the bullpen! Oh man, I mean, literally, it's like the, the last two games. As soon as a reliever has come in, a home run has been allowed within two pitches. Like. I, <laughs> which is exactly what I anticipated this season to be about. But, you know, the pitching aside, having so much fun watching Kyle Lewis, having so much fun watching J.P. Crawford be way better, that, especially on Dude, offense that double than I ever play. thought it could be. The defense, after watching Tim Beckham and Daniel Vogelback try to play first base and Dylan Moore throwing the ball home to no one, and after years of just embarrassments, after embarrassment in the infield, uh, finally have some some great infielders, and it's been an absolute pleasure to watch. The Mariners now have baseball players who are good at things, and I think yeah. it's really that simple. All right, Jordan, let's finish it off. Baseball moment of joy. What do you got for me this week to send us home? Oh, man. Uh, well, this is this is tough um, because I last week it was such a no-brainer because Tyler Stevenson hit a home run in his first major league at bat. So that was a no-brainer. But my baseball moment of joy this week is actually going to be Nick Madrigal going for four. Now, it's easy to, to get biased by the rookies, but Nick Madrigal came up, and Nick Madrigal, who everybody knows that Nick Madrigal is good at two things. He's good at hitting the baseball, and he's good at not striking out at the same time. And Nick Madrigal started his major league career 0 for 8 with a strikeout, and he looked like he was going to absolutely combust of frustration and anger to a degree that only baseball players with the drive and determination and I am going to figure out how to be a fucking major league baseball player like Nick Madrigal could be. And then, of course, we didn't have to wait long. Four hits yesterday. Uh, having four hits within th for three games of your major league debut is very rare. And I just love seeing a guy like Nick Madrigal, who I know a lot of people are going to get to know very quickly. Uh, he is tiny. He's delightful. He's very good at baseball, and I'm very glad that he's on a White Sox team that has a lot of fun baseball players right now. Yes, that's good. All right, Jordan, thank you for sharing. Everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been episode 15 of Baseball Barbecue. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Thank you to our guests. That was fun. Yeah, thank you to Deesh Thosar. We're, we're, we're keeping the New York Daily News streak really high. I know. Uh, it's <laughs> baseball Barbecue. Thank you to Nate Pearson. Of course, thank you to our producer, Bobby Wagner. Uh, who makes this whole thing run. Uh, and tough, we will talk to tough you guys. weekend to be yeah. a Mets fan, Bobby Wagner. Very tough. Not what you want. Um, sorry, Bobby. Sorry, sorry. Bobby. Uh, sorry, sorry. Not so sorry for your mentions, Bobby. Um, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you on Thursday. Will there be a baseball season? 
he did not answer. 